Welcome to the Thetterbed Network. We're a regular podcast to feature a member of the equestrian world and the relationship with the Thetterbed. In this episode, we are joined by international jockey Tom Marquand, which was recorded earlier this year at the William Ingalls Hotel in Sydney. We discuss his humble beginnings in pony racing to becoming an established Group 1 winning jockey, the ups and downs of his career so far, and his most recent success here in Australia. <laughs> all right, Thomas, I'd like to welcome you to the Thoroughbred Network. Thank you so much for joining us. Not at all. Thank you for having me. Now, I've met you, obviously I met you last year, which uh, was actually your second stint in Australia because um, you had a first stint um, sort of quite early on in Melbourne and then we've seen you come, come to Sydney um, and then this is your, your third stint, which I think will be fair to say... You've hit the ground running. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, it's been been pretty unreal. But yeah, like the first the first time I came was obviously a few years ago. I was still an apprentice. I came over to save my claim, albeit to hopefully ride a couple of winners. And um, like David Hayes and Tom Dabney, before I even got on a flight, they stuck me on a sort of one or it was like an even money shot on a Saturday for Sheikh Hamdan, and I was <laughs> mind completely blown. And um, Luckily, he won, and he and he actually backed up and won again like two days before I was leaving. So completely by chance, um, I managed to ride two city Saturday winners for Sheikh Hamdan for David Hayes and Tom Dabernig. Um But yeah, it was kind of like starting from scratch coming up to Sydney because, like, when I went into the tower last year with John, no one knew my name, no one knew who I was, <laughs> and it's it's kind of made it all an, a nicer experience for the fact that you know we started from scratch and. It's been relationships that have been built from sort of nothing as such in, in a relatively short amount of time. Super. Now, we know you as a professional jockey, but let's, let, let's bring it right back to, to, how, to how you first got started because th- this, is, this is something that I feel that we, that we need to promote better, getting young people in racing, and I think how you got involved in racing. It's a little bit foreign to the Australians, because um, it's something that's that's quite um, up and going now in Britain, but we seen you sort of you, you you didn't come from a horsey family, did you? No, I sort of had I had small <laughs> normal horse links, but not racing at all. Like yeah. auntie and granny were sort of they were, you know farm orientated, riding mostly. My auntie did a bit of eventing, and granny did a lot of dressage, but like that was all done and finished by the time I was sort of uh, old enough to to ride um but yeah like so there's there's a bit of a farming background there with horses but literally nothing to do with racing and you were sort of so did you live near Cheltenham yes so that was like uh to me that was probably the catalyst for the interest in racing and sort of wanting to get involved but yeah, I don't know. I don't know to be honest with you. It was a really, it was a really weird one, and from such a young age, like I was convinced that was all I was going to do. So I, yeah, I couldn't honestly say where it's it came from. It's pretty amazing because it's a sport that's not always. We're on the TV a lot, obviously, but it's not a sport that's always out there for people and doesn't look as attainable as as plenty of other sports that we see that are. We, a lot of sports now are sort of integrated at school, aren't they? You see sort of track and gymnastic and things. But racing's quite away from that. And you've sort of got to find your own way, really, unless you're sort of born into that. So you really, how did you, you when we started hearing your name or when Britain started hearing your name was on the pony racing circuit. So how did you get involved in pony racing? Yeah, sim- similarly, again, it was sort of a bit of a, it was a bit of a weird one. Like obviously growing up near Cheltenham, there was sort of, there was racing families around, um, and that I kind of, I don't know, obviously I had a, a bit of a love for speed as a kid, whatever, no matter what sport, whether it be skiing or, um, you know, it's turned into riding. There were, there was sort of friends around from pony club from normal riding that were doing a bit of pony racing. Um, sort of probably the main ones would have been like John Joe and AJ O'Neill, John Joe's sons, obviously. Um, and I had a good friend, Jake Launchbury. Who went on to ride as an amateur for a bit, and um, Bertie Bent, who actually grew to about six foot, age fourteen, <laughs> and he had a twelve-two pony, um, and so that was the first pony I had pony racing. It wasn't mine; I just was completely obsessed with it. And um, Martin and Sarah, his parents, were absolutely unreal, and they just literally sort of went, "Treat him as your racing pony." 
riding for the season and um and that's what sort of got me initially into it and and I think that kind of persuaded mum and dad that I was serious about it and not it wasn't just sort of on a whim uh, a kid being a kid I'll do something for a year and then sack it off mm. after like it was uh yeah I think it proved to them that I was I was willing to do what it took to to, to make try it. and make it a proper career <laughs> yeah exactly but no it was and then at the end of that season we bought we bought a race and pony for the next year and so in the next couple of years, I did did all of that. Um, but so, what yeah. what age were you when you first sat on? What age when you first ride in a, in, in a pony race? Uh, I would have been thirteen, which is quite late. Like, yeah, it's not late, but it is quite late well, in when, English when I terms. Had a look, yeah. I think they kick off from nine years old. Don't yeah, we? yeah. So the point to point circuit was where I had most of my rides because we weren't going out and spending big money on ponies or anything like that. They yeah. were they were nice ponies, but you know, I was doubling them up as jumping pony club whatever <laughs> you know galloping around feels flat out that was them um but yeah so i was mostly point to point circuit pony club uh, which you can start nine years old basically free for all uh, the ones that are probably more likely to become jockeys have a big weight advantage because there's no set weight yeah so like there was me 13 probably five stone something riding a little whip it 12 two you know that they go Oh, I probably won't even say, it, but they go like the clappers. You know, they're they're little they're little racehorses. So it was a nice introduction and an easy introduction, but at the same time, it sort of has enough of a similarity to racing to just break you into it. Yeah. Without without scaring you off. Yeah. It, well, it, I mean, so when I had a look at the pony racing, I think their first race was over almost two thousand four. And then the PRA, which the Pony Racing Association, formed and kicked off quite seriously from 2007 onwards, um, which they now are a very serious organisation, which they see lots of kids come through the Pony Club. And we've seen some fantastic names. We also have George Wood out here in Australia. Now he came through Pony Racing as well. And obviously one of your leading ladies in your life, Holly Doyle, your, your gorgeous partner, also came through Pony Racing. Um, she actually won her first race at nine years old didn't she uh i didn't know it quite that young to be fair so i wouldn't know but it weren't far off yeah no that and that's that's actually how we met as well so so you know, pony race, you, you pony met so with pony racing so um is it in height order um so yeah the ponies uh sort of categorized between like most most point to points at the weekend would have a 13-2 and a 14-2 division there'd be two races either before or after and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a nice sort of relaxed theme. Yeah, atmosphere. And you don't, you know, the, the, the expensive proper racing ponies weren't really about. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was sort of the same, same crowd of people, but, you know, everyone helped a lot because mum and dad didn't really have a clue what was going on, albeit they were, you know, they were entirely supportive of what I was trying to do, but, you know, they didn't really know what was going on. So there was a lot of people involved in just sort of helping, helping. everyone <laughs> uh, go through the day and staying alive and um, not falling out. But yeah, it was, it was a really, like, they're, they're fond memories to look back on because, you know, I had a good time. I made some really good friends. And to be fair, most of, most of the kids that I pony raced with are now still riding. And yet most of the people that I went to racing school at a later age aren't. So I think that proves how much of a sort of foundation. yeah foundation and solid base of, I don't know whether it was work ethic or just, you know, your, it gave you, gave you a bit of inspiration at a young age to, to carry on through. Um, like it really, it really did help a lot. Well, when, cause when you ride these pony races, you run racetracks. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I mean, and you know, there's, uh, there's an element of jumping a flat out, but the more involved you get, like, uh, I, I always used to force my parents to buy the DVD, like a point, 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 <laughs> so you buy the DVD of the replay. And I, every single time, if I won or lost, I'd always make them buy the replay. I think it must have cost them an absolute fortune. Probably more than my ponies <laughs> were worth pony. altogether. But, um, no, and I'd go home and, and like, I'd watch them over and over and over. And like, I loved it. And I guess that's sort of the initial basis of the development of your riding. Like, I've got pictures genuinely where at 14, I looked more stylish than I look now. Like, and I'm not just saying it. I, 
I looked like he was on a, on a racing pony, like tucked up knee. You know, I don't ride like that at all now, but it's kind of nice that you can, you can mess about. I rode too short uh, sometimes. I rode too long sometimes, but it didn't matter because there's no pressure. It was my pony. No one really cared. Like, yep. <laughs> but, but it felt like everyone cared. So it was yep. a great environment to just sort of to learn. play about and develop the base of, of race riding, really, I think. Yeah. And so, so when you did that, um, did you, so you obviously went to the racing school um, later in life. Did you go to the racing school with pony racing as well? Yeah, yeah. So they, they basically try and pick you up as early as they can, which is great. Again, it's kind of putting you on the right line of developing without sort of the, without the bad habits. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that was, that was where me and Holly actually probably first started going out at age I don't know, 13, 14, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but like they do, they do an Easter camp and a, and a summer camp and then they have an advanced camp as well. So when you're just about to break into racing after pony racing, um, you get invited on the advanced camp if they think you're someone that's, uh, likely to make a career out of yep. horse racing. So they, you know, to, to have been chosen for that was major because I was sort of, I was nothing to do with horse racing. My family weren't in racing. Um, so while like the, I went on the Easter week camp, which was great. Age 14, 15, getting selected. I think there was eight or nine people on it with the likes of John Joe Neal and people like that. I know uh, now it seems ridiculous that <laughs> I used to think like that, but you know, those were, those are the people that I was sort of, I'm not jealous of, but like, you know, I wanted their life. Yeah. Like, you know, if my dad was a trainer when I was 14 or if I was to do with horse racing, that was like the dream. Um, to be included in that and to be thought of in that regard. Like, I think it, it gives you a big sort of morale boost and like the thought, you know, you, I, I might be able to do this. Like, I might actually be able to do it. And, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. The, the British Racing School, for those who are listening who haven't um, been able to experience that, it's, it's in Newmarket and it's a fantastic institution for education for young people. So they actually do, as well as the pony racing, they do like a nine-week free foundation course to get people in and they, they teach us everything from getting to know a horse to getting it ready for race for preparing it, which is... It's it's imperative that we have that in our industry, isn't it? But what a fantastic institution! So you you came through the British Racing School, where you were taught you had you'd have ex jockeys there, you'd have lots of support um, for basically everything from from looking after your pony to your riding style to um, sort of and, and being in amongst that environment with, with, with those racing boys must have been so much fun for you, and um, and, and to sort of get that inspiration from them, um, I think would have been amazing. So at that point. When so you sort of got into pony racing and did you ride ponies up to sixteen? Uh, so I rode ponies up to fifteen, and because because we couldn't really afford to to go full blown on it and and you know get a get a good pony, I, it was kind of like I had I had three or four years and it was really good and great, but I kind of reached a point where I was like, oh, like there's something more that I want, like I, I want to do something more. I want to sort of. Exp- um, yeah, expand my horizons a little bit and, and sort of play around a bit with it before I go into racing properly. And, um, Arab racing was sort of a good option because you could do it at 15. You can use a stick. Um, and obviously they're notoriously pretty difficult. So while I was riding out at yards, you know, I rode out quite a bit for John Joe Neal because he was local. Um, I rode out very regularly for Giles Smiley, a small point to point trainer and, Tony Carroll from sort of 14, I spent virtually every week, a weekend there, um, and the school holidays, like, there was kind of a, a, there needed to be a natural progression, and like, Arab racing was a good option because, you know, it was just a whole nother side to riding that I hadn't had yet, and while we might not have a stick at some point in the future, or whatever, it's, it was always something that, the Irish pony racers seem to have over the top of the English ones going into racing. Like Irish Irish young lads were coming over and they looked like a jockey straight away. Whereas English was still, you know, while pony racing was helping a lot, it was kind of getting us three quarters of the way there. And then there was still that element of, you know, we didn't know how to use our sticks properly. We had we weren't 
we weren't 100% fluent with it, whatever, because we hadn't had the experience. Um, and our bracing, I think I only had, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 rides altogether. But because I didn't have to own one, I could ride other people's. It was good because I was riding loads of different horses, loads of different racetracks, and it was uh, an experience. <laughs> Everyone knows they're tricky, but... You know, it was good. It was it was good because it took it even more to the next level of you know it's actually on race courses proper. Um, I know pony racing was quite a lot of the time, but you know you had to be the right weight. It, it, it's just race course procedure down to a T, just with Arabs. So it was good. Yeah, it was good. And so, at what point did you sort of sit down and say, "I'm going to leave school, and this is going to be"? Oh, like that was from like six seven years old like that was it that was all that was happening there was nothing else um which again is so weird to think of come, like not having the racing sort of racing blood there um as such but yeah much to parents dismay it was um, yeah, well, so what was your parents reaction to, to when it really came to yeah. crunch time where tom said so this is it now <laughs> um like they always they always properly supported it but it there was there was quite a while where I guess I guess any parent's natural reaction is oh, like is this actually feasible? feasible? Are you going to manage it or like? But that that's a, a, a naturally a parent's reaction to anything. You know, you don't want your, your child jumping headfirst into something <laughs> and getting two years down the line and you know not having any qualification. Like I did all right in GCSEs, but nothing else. No A levels. No college. No university. And not getting anywhere, and then going, what next? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I suppose it must have been quite hard for them, but um, yeah, luckily it paid off in the end. <laughs> Just. <laughs> Just. <laughs> so you you you've came out and you've said, I'm going to go gun ho, and I'm going to go and do my apprenticeship. So, did you have to go to the race school do your apprenticeship first, or did you align yourself with someone to back you on that? Yeah, so. I, <laughs> I lined up with Andrew Bolding. I went for a month in the summer to to go just right out for a month with a view to hopefully sort of get off at a job or, you know, that was that was like my dream. Um, and I had a month there. Andrew very kindly offered me a job um, to be his apprentice, which I thought was unbelievable. And then Holly's dad, actually, who was apprentice for Richard Hannon when he was 15, 16, um, he said, no, you're not going there until you've been to Hannon's. He said, if you've, if you go to Hannon's, don't like it, go to Andrew's, do whatever you want, but you have to go to Hannon's first. I'm not letting you go there otherwise. And I was like, all right, whatever, different experience. I'll go there. And, um, I think I went like the week before Christmas. It was snowing, miserable, cold, whatever, <laughs> but it was just like, it just suited me. Like, I'm, I'm quite, laid back, chilled out. I don't really, I don't know. I know, I, I always knew what I wanted to do and I always sort of had a rough idea of how I was going to do it and it wasn't through messing about or um, going and doing stuff I shouldn't have been, you know, I was pretty focused. So it, like, they literally threw me in a house with a couple of older lads and just said, yeah, Sam, do your work. Yeah. And it, it, it just, it worked for me. Um, so to put it into so, perspective, for, for people, how many horses does Hannon have in training? Uh, probably two, two seventy, two hundred seventy. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of horses. But what what was your first day walking walking in there to? Because you know we've we've walked into to, to a yard here that's been um, a big part of British racing and been so, and a, a family has been so successful. Walking in there as young Tom being an apprentice. <laughs> We had all phased walking in the front gates. Um, well, weirdly, I don't remember being sort of that bothered by it. I don't, I don't know why, but I mean, yeah, by chance, I think I like that first week I rode Lamato as a yearling, like up the gallops, because obviously it's a predominantly two-year-old yard. So in the like come come December, you know, they're they're starting to do a lot more with the two-year-olds and starting to ramp it up a bit. Um, yeah, I think like I rode Lamato by chance, but when I actually properly started, I think that was when it hit home. What kind of a job I had? Like my lots each morning were like, well, I don't know, probably a lot of Australians won't even recognise them, but for what it's worth, like my lots were Sky Lantern, Tiggy Wiggy, Night of Thunder, Esther Car, <laughs> uh, Olympic Glory, like 
it was nuts. It was nuts. <laughs> and, and, you know, literally on my third, fourth day there, that those are my lots for the morning worth, like, I don't know, between them probably about five, six mil. And, I mean, that is like... It's pretty amazing. That's the... That's... At that point in time, that was... That was it. Like, that was unbelievable. I was so happy. And... But, you know, it was always... Goalposts always change. And, you know, after a couple of months, I suppose that kind of wears off. And then it was... I was very lucky in the fact that uh, Richard applied for my licence and Steve Knight had a big part to play there, who's ex-grand national winning jockey. You know, he he pushed it a lot. Um that they applied for my license while I actually went to America um, for a month with Tom Morley and yep. Maggie, uh, who were absolutely amazing. Um, and that was that was actually Steve's idea. Instead yep. of starting and spending a month there before I went back to the racing school for a month to legally be loved, able to leave school and all that. Um, yeah, so I, like that was just, that was the biggest leg up to the start of my career that I could have <laughs> possibly wished for. Um, and yeah, coming back to a job that I th- obviously I knew it was a great job, but like that was just. So what, what did you think of America? Cause that would have been another completely kettle of fish to, to head out there. They're, they're quite, um, would, it, would, would a lot of their horses all work around the dirt? Uh, yeah. So all, all of them run the dirt. Um, or well, for the majority, I don't think I barely rode much on the, on the turf, but. So I did two weeks in Belmont, two weeks in Saratoga, and like <laughs> I, I live with Tom and Maggie, and they just they treated me like they their son, and it was like the best thing I ever did because it just sort of opened my eyes a bit that there's more outside of British racing, and I think that's why I'm so willing now to, you know, I love travelling with riding, and hence why I'm here. I like going to Qatar or whatever and places like that, but it kind of yeah, it opened my eyes a bit and spending a month out there on different horses and it's a completely different way of riding anyone that's been out there can say that it's um it was a good experience and did me a hell of a lot of good like <laughs> a hell of a lot of good and it, and it helped me mature fast again and, and again all it did was cemented the fact that I knew you know I knew that was what I wanted to do so like I think up until up until I actually started riding everything was just uh yeah, uh, at each step up the ladder to sort of solidify my thought process in this is what I'm doing, and everything everything that happened along those few years from the start of pony racing really solidified it all. Oh. So you you've came home, you came back to Allen's and, and we're now about to kick off your your apprenticeship. <laughs> I'm nervous for you. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, do you know what? it was it was mad because I think I started on. 5th of September, I had my license like five, six weeks later, middle of October. And, um, and I remember Steve, like, we can't first two lots and, and the, uh, the last two or three lots would only trot around the ring. I remember Steve coming up to me a couple of mornings. Oh, I think, I think, I think I've got you on one. I think we've got a ride for you. And I, I'd be absolutely <laughs> buzzing for the rest of the morning. And then I'd look at declarations and, you know, there was, I think there was eight apprentices there when I was there and you know one of the other apprentices was on it or you know something someone else had, or a jockey had ended up on it um and like for a couple of weeks it just kept happening and then um and then he said and then he obviously came again and said like look you're riding this I promise <laughs> and I was like oh, I was so happy um and coincidentally my first ride was called here for good which was a pretty good there you go yeah uh, it was a pretty good name but um yeah, so that was for Richard at Lingfield in an apprentice race. So what year was that? That was 2014, sort of end end of November. Okay. Um, so, and yeah. how did your first ride go? I ran all right. It, like, <laughs> Richard's obviously had a lot of apprentices. What, what was you feeling in the gates where you were like, this is it. I'm in the gates and I'm about to jump my very first race ride. Like, the, a lot of what's been happening before is built up to this point. What was going on in your head at that point? Yeah, I... <laughs> No, I don't remember. Like, I don't really, I don't really get nervous or anything. And I don't remember being nervous or, but I, you know, again, I just think it was another step where I thought. That you were ready to take. You know, this is, this is the next step. Uh, like, I don't know whether it's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how if I'm only, uh, people I feel think it, like I that. I think if it was me in the gates, I'd be going, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. What did you tell me to do again? Am I going back? Am I going forward? <laughs> uh, no, but that's, look, that's where Rich is great. And that's where being an apprentice at a, a big yard and know how to deal with apprentices is, is perfect. Because I think, 
you know, before I rang him on the way there, uh, I had to get a lift from my mum because I was only 16 because I couldn't drive still. Um, she must have been so proud. Uh, yeah, I, like, it, was a, it was a nice day for her, I suppose. But um, And my dad came. But uh, I think he literally just said, yeah. Uh, I was like, hi, boss. Hi, boss. Uh, what would you like me to do on him? <laughs> he said, oh, just, just make sure you look good. And that was it. Like, good luck. Cheers. Wow. And but that was probably the best thing that he could have said because you know instead of going out thinking right oh, I have to be boxy too wide not three wide whatever uh, didn't didn't think about anything I just jumped out relaxed gave it a normal ride whatever whatever that was tried to look good on him and all went smoothly. So um, where did you finish in your first round? Uh, I think he was like sixth, seventh, mid midfield, okay. um, but it was like a fir- a first step into. Being a part of this what is has, yeah, what has been a mad few years really. When I go back and think about it, then so you so you had your first ride, and then three weeks later, yeah, it'd be about three weeks. Yeah, it was um, it was sort of yeah mid December, and that was for the boss. Uh, yeah, that was for the boss. I think it was a forerunner seller, odds on favourite, <laughs> jumped out, made the run in. Was mum and dad there? Uh, oh, do you know what? I can't actually remember. How bad is that? Your mum will remember. Yeah, I, I have a feeling. I have a feeling that they weren't. Um, but yeah, like straightforward as you come. <laughs> he put me on a steering job to to ride a winner. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That was that was literally it. But no, I was delighted to get out of the way because obviously once you start, yeah, once you start getting a few rides, it's kind of like oh, you just you just want to get a winner. Like that's all you want. So there was eight other apprentices in the time in hand. What was that like? Was it doggy dog or um, real friends? Yeah, friend. Like we were all we were all mates, and you know it was it was a good atmosphere. But so there's two yards, right. though. So you know I think there was there was only myself, Josh Quinn, and yeah. So there was three apprentices down at Everly, and the rest of the apprentices were all up at Heritage, which is like a five minute drive away. But they operate as two completely separate yards. So really, like until I started trying to get rides I wouldn't have even noticed the fact that there was so many apprentices because it was like you didn't really have anything to do with them so it's a bit it's although you're in a huge yard it doesn't really the atmosphere run yard isn't it so it was you're turning up to a top dog place at work you're sort of there to get your job done and, and get it done well um and a lot of what a lot of people sometimes don't understand is British racing is a sport that he came around a very long time ago. So there, there's just a lot of, we have a lot of um, tradition there and a lot of, lot of draped in history. And we're almost, you know, the boss is the boss and the rest of us will be spoken, will speak when we're spoken to. And, and we're here for the horses and the horses is number one. Um, and I think that's such a great, um, for, for, for any young person in any sport, in any profession, I think that's a really amazing foundation to start. Your life as your working life, actually. I think that's what racing definitely brought me. And I think for you to be an apprentice in such a big stable that was run so well has been a, a, a fantastic molding for you, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it definitely instills sort of a work ethic and respect for uh, what other people are doing, like, and, and what you're willing to do to get. Where you want to be. Because, and so where yeah. was Holly at this point? So Holly was at Dave Evans's, um, and she, so she had had a year and a half, yep. uh, riding sort of, I think she rode for about six or seven months for a, as an amateur. Um, her first ride was a winner. Coincidentally, earlier in the day, right by where she's from, um, I chinned her brother on the line in oh. a pony race. <laughs> And we jumped straight in the car, ditched the ponies of my mum and dad to take back to her house and drove down to Salisbury, which uh, must have been like two, two and a half hours. Um, I went down with her mum and her brother and, uh, and she had her first ride that evening for Dave Evans as an amateur and it went and won. Um, oh, so yeah, dream she had a, come true. She had a dream start. Um, At least you were there for her first Yeah, win. exactly. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, but yeah that was sort of that was the start for her and she had a few months riding as an amateur changed to apprentice had a it must yeah it must have must have done about a year and a half of riding and then she actually moved to Hannon's um as well her oh. dad decided to get her the job there in the end there we go <laughs> yeah, there we go first, but yeah no so she moved down um you know it was just a, it was a 
a next step in the career. Obviously, Dave was great for her and, and laid a great basis of of work ethic. You know, he's not um, he's not an easy taskmaster. You know, he made her work for for everything that she got, and it's it's something that she's carried on through in her mentality even like to this day and and I can't imagine they'll ever change so it was obviously a great grounding for her and yeah Hannah's was just sort of like a next step you know you need to be in a big big yard around around a lot of other apprentices to sort of show who's willing to make it and who wants to make it and that that added pressure yeah makes diamonds really yeah yeah definitely it's not always the nice atmosphere, but just having the people around you as well just help pick you up and, and, you, and you sort of learn from them. What, yeah. How amazing is that, both of you in there at Hannah's? Yeah. <laughs> That's weird, eh? But no, and we, like, we started living together probably, I don't know, maybe six months after that, but we'd already been together for quite a few I don't years. Know what, yeah, two, two years before yeah. that. So, yeah. Is, it, like, is there any like, food in your house? Oh, there's always food in my house. Sadly, <laughs> Holly's terrible. No, she's not terrible. She um, so she can eat. She can eat. She, she does very yeah, well yeah, to yeah, weight. Yeah, yeah. She? and she works hard in the gym to put on weight. Equally, I run a lot and spend a lot of time in the gym to <laughs> lose it. So it's very different. Um, out like sort of uh, yeah, I suppose yin and yang. No, look, it, everyone always says, oh, it's you know, she can't eat around you. I, I cooked dinner. You I, get used to it, really, don't you? Because th- this is your life. This is the lifestyle you chose. And everything that you do is very sort of, not strict and regulated, but you have to be very committed to what you do. So I suppose it just becomes a part of your life. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's, it's part and parcel of the job. Right. So how, so your first year in apprenticeship, what happened? Well, obviously, I had a, a pretty good start. Um, I think I must have ridden just, short, just shy of 20 winners before the start of the season proper, which starts... So it's, well, officially starts Doncaster, which is usually the end of March. Um, and I actually, all of my winners in between my first and my 20th winner were for outside trainers. Oh. So my first winner was for the boss <laughs> and my 20th winner was for the boss, um, which which looking back now is a bit mad because, you know, usually... You need you need your boss to sort of get you up going, get the momentum up, and then other people start using you. But I was so lucky in in the fact that I had a great agent who just grafted from day one, and I've still got him today, Sash Wrighton. But um, yeah, I don't know. People just seem to pick me up and support me, and and um, I was really lucky with the opportunities I got so early. I think I rode a winner for the Queen for Roger Chalmers, seven pound claim. Uh, it flicked up on Facebook, I think it was yesterday, five, five <laughs> years ago, yesterday, I had my first ride for Godolphin. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, how lucky Dreams was I? Made yeah, this. how lucky was I, really? And then, and then I had my 20th winner just at the start of the season at Newbury for the boss. Again, like, you know, it was, it was a very quick, um, quick progression, I guess it still is, really. Yeah. That's um that that we I mean you know getting tracked for Queen, yeah. Does it does it get any better from yeah. British racing? <laughs> no, exactly. I mean it's 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 mental to think, and I think like uh, I think Roger was putting on horses for Khalid Abdullah and people like that. It was just it was just ridiculous. But it but it was more so I think a lot of, like from an early stage, and I don't know whether it's to do with Sash or what. But I've been so lucky in the fact that I've always had a wide base of trainers. To, that have been happy using me and, and and I've always been happy to sort of try and keep it that way yep. because I think it's very easy to focus in on one trainer, one owner or something and and it makes life hard when it starts going wrong. <laughs> um, whereas having a wide base of trainers, you know, has been probably pretty pivotal in the last couple of years having such a wide base having so many horses that are there to be ridden at some point or another um like you can't you can't not ride winners if you're riding for that many different people on that many different horses like law of averages <laughs> it's you can't you, you strike can't one every now and then yeah exactly yeah yeah when you're lucky yeah. and so those who are listening are, are not aware what is the role of your manager of your of your agent your jockey agent um so sort of in England, it's a pretty involved role. Like over here, 
in Australia, everything's done first Saturday is like two weeks before you're booked up. Once you're booked, you can't get off them. Yeah. In England, it's free for all compared to what it is here. Like okay. it's, you know, 10 o'clock declarations, two days or 48 hours before the race. People are jostling about for rides. <laughs> People are changing from meeting to meeting because it's, again, it's not like here where you have a city, a provincial and country definition. Set. Yeah, set. It's like, you know, your champion jockey will be going to Wolverhampton and Chepstow and Bath. Like, and so there's a lot of fiddling about okay. at last second. And, you know, a lot of times it works against you. A lot of times it works for you. Um, so he's basically on the so phone. So literally trainers, uh, sorry, agents in England are just on the phone, flat out organizing. And then the name of the game for him, really, it's a huge abuse, probably. The name of the game for him is to get you on the best horse yeah. Yeah. in every race, yeah, um, which is a tough girl. Because I know we've got betting markets that help indicate what we're doing, but, um, you know, where trainers place horses and, and, and where they're at in their, in their prep for the first half or the, the end of the prep. So it's such, it's a tough girl. Um, and also you've got to ride horses that you can ride in the weight, the handicaps yeah. as well. So you see them, you can be limited sometimes. Can't yeah, you? definitely. And I, I think in England it's sort of, it's there's a lot less focus on like say over here there's a lot of like where they're on their prep how they've trialed yep. this like that in england you have like you have no you we don't have, we yeah, have the trials you know, yeah so. you have no pointer as to how a horse is going like it could have run it could have run to a mark of 100 on its last run <laughs> six months ago that's not to say it's it's fat and hairy still and it might only <laughs> it might only be capable of running up to like 70 which puts it 25 lengths behind the horses and you know there's no there's no way of of knowing so that's where you know Sasha's role is very important because building trust with trainers <laughs> and the, and the relationship with trainers to have the honesty of you know yeah they might want to book you for a horse but Sasha can turn around with a lot of them now and I know he can say you know like is it ready like really is it ready or or is it just having a nice introduction back in, having a nice first run, get, getting it all the way fit again to then kick on for the rest of the summer because, you know, horses go for six, seven, eight, nine months in England. It's not like here at all where they get sort of a few runs. Four or five runs. runs. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, like relationships are important in that time because we don't have Charles to to point us in the right direction. And now does he just look after you? Does he look after anyone else? Uh, he's got a few, he's got a few jockeys actually, coincidentally, George Wood. Oh, there uh, you go. He's over here, yeah. Um, it's two lights on his boots yeah, at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's had a quiet winter. Uh, I think he's pretty thankful to be fair. But no, he, like he's got, he's got, I think maybe five or six jockeys and he's been pretty keen to keep it a small team because obviously, like I was lucky when I started doing well, other apprentices then go, Oh, well, that agent's had a champion apprentice. I want him. But, like, he's been very selective in who he's taken on. Like, he took on George not too long after me. And he's got Sean Levy, who's also a, a jockey at Hannon's. Um, he's done He's done very well to sort of get the team he's got without breaking ranks or annoying anyone or, you know, like... It's a, it's a tough one. Uh, that, that, you know, that's, and that is, that's me. You really have to have, like, a lot of people because... You know, you guys as athletes, you you not, not, don't look to be in a team. It's you and the horse on the day, isn't it? But there is actually a lot going on behind the scenes. You need the support from the trainers. And you need your manager to be on the same even keel with you to, to get you at the right place at the right time, really. So if we go to your first season, how, how did your first season end? Yeah, it was um, like it was obviously a big breakthrough year. And like it sort of, I started the year not off. Like, obviously, I rode quite a few winners, but I don't think you... You don't realise what you're managing to achieve at the time, like, until you look back on it, obviously. But I don't know, it just kind of accumulated and, and uh, or sort of escalated, should I say. And, um, like, I got to sort of two months to the end of the season and was like, Shit, we might actually be able to be champion apprentice here. <laughs> and, um, and, like, genuinely, everyone was going, oh, have you not thought about it until now? And I was like, well, no. Like, because that's not... Uh, that's... You're not thinking about it. You're just kind of going day to day, trying to ride as many winners as you can. And, and it kind of just became a, a possibility. And um, in the end, it was pretty tight. Obviously, I only won, but I think I won by two and I rode a winner on the last day. 
So, you know, if it had gone the other way, Jack, Jack Garrity, um, who was second, had ridden a winner out of drawn. So, like you say, element of luck, but, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a long, it was a long first season. Like I only started driving halfway through sort of my birthday was at the end of March and I literally, I got my license. Like I think I took my test four days after just to make sure I got it because I was so sick of not being so able to drive. So who was driving you before that point? Uh, so mum, dad, other jockeys, like everyone's great in racing. Like, mum and dad, yeah. they thought they were buying yeah. this pony for a fun weekend <laughs> yeah. and they were now married to this yeah. industry. Drive me miles. Yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> you couldn't have just gone to university somewhere far away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's it. But um, uh, like everyone's great in racing, you know, so I, like wherever you go in the world, there's that sort of community and... The other older jockeys, um, you know, they ran me about here. They were everywhere for the first few months. And, um, you know, I, I, I repaid quite a few lifts when I started driving. But actually now, while it's probably one of the harder things about the job, I actually enjoy it because it's kind of like you get in the car after a day's racing and you can just switch off. Do you fragment. Like, you just, yeah, <laughs> just sit in the car. If you want to listen to something, listen to something. If you don't want to listen to anything, don't listen to anything. Like, that's as long as you've got a nice, comfy car. You can just drive home and that's that's when I personally I try and just that racing done for the day. Like that's you know, it's done. Go home and that's watch replays time. another day. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I would I'd watch replays before I go home and because I think it's easy to you know, any walk of life you can take work home with you and it can impact on your home life and and your mentality and, and sort of I think it creates quite a tough environment at home especially because both of us are jockeys like if we took work home every day it would be a nightmare because every day holly has a good day i have a bad one every day i have a good one she has a bad one so it's like neither of us would ever be happy because if we took work home every day it would be like oh well i'm annoyed today oh well i'm annoyed today (laughs) like it doesn't work so so yeah like uh, cars are time to switch off so i enjoy that bit (laughs) Um, so it wasn't long after that we that you you got the title, and then you were actually nominated for BBC Young um, Sports Personality of the Year. Yeah, was... Mum and Dad <laughs> must have been like, "This paid off. This pony yeah. that we got all those years ago has done something." And I, how many? So from the young the young personality of the year is seventeen and under. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe so. And so, how many other? Apprentices of jockeys have been have been so I, th- I think sh- I might be wrong in saying was it Sean or James Bowen were nominated for it this year, but before that I think I was the first one from racing, which is again ridiculous to think. And I, I definitely definitely did not appreciate how much it sort of meant at the time. But like I was only doing what. I wanted to do like it was just through sort of my passion and and what I wanted to achieve in my life that it kind of just happened like it just such a great advertisement for racing though isn't it because a lot of people who don't follow racing probably aren't aware like people just see jockeys on tv don't they they probably don't act and they all look so small that you wouldn't have a clue if they're 40 or 14 so I think just having that having the having an apprentice being a young sports personality would have been amazing for the industry and I think that's a massive accolade Tom like to to do that and and to put your sport on the map that way um was amazing so very well done to you I thought that was a little bit jealous not that I could be nominated for anything but I thought oh it's kind of cool wasn't it you got to do something that really meant something (laughs) yeah it's um but like yeah it was quite funny I actually found out when we were on holiday in Thailand because like it had been a long year and I thought you know what I need a need a break um so like I flew, or we, me and Holly went, on, or Holly and I went on holiday to Thailand for ten days, and like I was led on a beach, got a phone call, like I virtually turned my phone off for the whole week just to really be able to switch off, and I got a phone call, I was like, oh what? And that was how I found out, and it was like, what? What? Yeah, what? You joking? What? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was funny, like on a holiday and that, like I think I think it was that holiday, it might have even been the year after, which is even more embarrassing. Like, we went to go and. Get kayaks or something to go out over the over the reef. I think it was the next year in Mauritius, like, and they were, oh, we need your parents to to sign. I'm like, I was like, uh, <laughs> nah, <laughs> nah, like, 
this paid. is it. This is my holiday. I paid. No one's here. And um, no, it's quite funny, but we have it every year, wherever we go. Like this year, we went to like a secluded island in the Caribbean and like we walked, like, we walked up to them and they were looking at us like, really? Like, really? Did you? Yeah, that? yeah like, I'm both looking, I'm both looking at 12. Um, but yeah, that seems to be a running theme throughout our lives. Oh, fantastic. That, might, that actually must be yeah. a bit of a laugh in your days. <laughs> um, so, so you've, you've been nominated and you've came back for your second season, which was equally as successful, just missed out. Yeah, I, obviously my second year I actually had the Apprentice title in my sights because I'd done it once, I thought, right, I had, I can't think how many winners I had exactly. Um, I must have had maybe 25. So I kind of had enough to get me going, but I knew, I knew it was going to fall short. Like, I was, like the year before, I think I went on 54 or 55. So, you know, I needed to ride another half without a claim, which is uh, notoriously the hardest part of a jockey's sort of career, breaking through whether you manage to lose your claim and carry on riding or you lose your claim and you're forgotten about. So I had it in my sights before the start of the season and no one, I, I think the last person that managed it was 1988, Gary, Gary Bardwell, I want to say. Um, so it was something that hadn't been done for years and I thought, you know what, that's something I'd love to do. Like... Went helpful leather from the start. Uh, my claim ran out in, I think it was June. So I had another three or four months left of riding without it. And then halfway through August, I got a phone call from the BHA saying, oh, you're going to have to renew your license in, I think it was five or six weeks' time, whatever it was. And I was like, well, all right. But, uh, like, i got to renew it as a professional because I'd written out my claim. And your next renewal, you have to renew it as a professional, not an apprentice. And uh, and I like I was like, oh my god, like, my winners <laughs> what are you aren't going to count. Yeah, I was like, my winners <laughs> aren't going to count. It just was something that was completely not even on my radar. It wasn't on anyone's radar. Um, I was a bit. It, it was gutting because it was like I'd spent the whole summer yeah. sort of booting on, thinking oh, this is this I is can mine. Get this. I can do it. Yeah, and then going. Oh, by the way, your last two weeks aren't going to count. Oh. And like from the year before, the last two weeks was like where I want it, and I I knew I knew from then like it was going to be hard work. But yeah, obviously Josie had a crack in summer, and um, my license ran out. I think we were level when my license ran out, or maybe or maybe I was one behind or two behind. So it was still close. Like with two weeks of riding, you know, you can ride you can ride fourteen winners in two weeks. You could ride one winner in two weeks. Um, obviously Josie rode a few winners in the last couple of weeks and, and won it um, which was a pretty disappointing way to lose if I'd have been if I'd have been beaten sort of fair and square to it you know you kind of go oh well, I'll give it a go yeah. but it was a pretty it was a pretty bad way to, to get chin because like it's um, yeah but the biggest thing I was worried about was carrying on riding after my claim and I was just delighted that I was still rolling along with the momentum that I had and um I carried on then through that winter. I think I had three weeks in Dubai riding for Sheikh Ahmed, but I was still riding every day and I was still riding winners and that was all I cared about. Like, that was, that was it. <laughs> um, and so that at what point, so what year was that that you did, you, you finished your second year? That had been 2016. Okay, okay. 16? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it must have been, yeah. And, and so all that time, you've still stayed with Hannon and he's continued to support you yeah. from, from day dot, which yeah. is amazing, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is, because like going into a big yard like that, you know, a lot of a lot of people sort of go into the system and get spat back out because it's nature of the beast, I suppose. Not everyone can make it. If, if everyone made it, there There's wouldn't be anyone spots, at the top. Really, yeah, exactly. There? And, you know, I was one of the really fortunate ones I got my my breaks when I needed them, and it worked. Um, and and obviously Richard, both Richard Senior and Richard Junior, because it was sort of at the period where Richard Junior had taken over the license two years before. But you know, um, the old man. Yeah, whether I call him the old man, I don't know if he likes it or not. I don't know. That's what everyone calls him. But it's Richard, Richard. Um, but like he was, he was still. He was still there making a lot of decisions, as was uh, Richard Jr. And I, I don't know. I mean, like I was still, I was still putting in a lot of time and effort there. Like I carried on working as an apprentice, 
about six months after I lost my claim, like I was still mucking out four every morning, going in riding out as many lots as I could possibly do before going racing, even stables, Sunday stables. And that was sort of a year, a year after I was champion apprentice. So like I was, I was still in the stage where, you know, I wanted to show that I was willing to work for it and I didn't want to be a bit of a flash in the pan because um, that's what a lot of people kept telling me, oh, you've written that claim too quick, you'll be gone. Uh, and realistically, it probably does happen to a lot of people, but it wasn't nice to hear, and I just made sure that I worked hard enough that it wasn't going to happen to me. So. And so what was your main contact for coming out here to Sydney? So what, what, how did that eventuate? Yeah, so Tom Ward, who, again, was sort of pivotal in my time at Hannon's, um, as an apprentice and so what was even, tom roles at hannon so tom was assistant trainer to richards okay. um and then he and he we we've, we've met tom when tom is coming out to australia yeah and he was um assistant, assistant to john o'shea when he was at Godolphin. yeah and like john <laughs> i've not heard john plug many people but like tom oh, i don't know what he did he, he must have been good at his job or something because <laughs> john john loves him um and equally i mean at hands Obviously, I was there for, I, I think he was there for about four and a half, five years nearly. Like, that's a, that's a long stay, uh, as an assistant trainer to anyone. And, you know, he, he did his job to an absolutely unbelievable sort of rate of, uh, uh yeah, success. I don't know whether it's success, or whatever, but, um, yeah, like he, he made my life a hell of a lot easier and, um, he was great to have around there, but, yeah, I kind of, I'd done the winter at home. I'd gone a year and a half just over without my claim. You know, I'd proved that I was keeping my momentum up and, and that I wasn't sort of going to be gone. Um, or I hoped it wasn't. But <laughs> <laughs> like I kind of wanted to do a bit something a bit different because you yeah. can stay and ride in the winter and, and while it's brilliant riding winners for people that support you, you don't, you don't learn anything. You don't you're not improving and you're not broadening your horizons or changing the way you ride by doing so. And I thought, you know, what I could do is I'm doing something different. And I was all for going back to David Hayes and Tom Dabnig in Melbourne because I thought, you know, I got on great, great with them. They gave me, they gave me unbelievable opportunities when I was there. So I was like, ah, that'll, that'll do. That'll be perfect. (laughs) And, uh, and Tom sort of swayed me to come to John and I wasn't, I wasn't overly convinced, to be honest. Okay. Like, I was still thinking, oh, I made a mistake. I should have gone to David and Tom. Like, what have I done? You know, because I'd, I'd sort of established a bit of a base there before. Um, like, I thought, I'm starting from scratch. It's Sydney, one of the most renowned places to be hard to get going, get rides. It's competitive. And, yeah, Tom, to be fair to him, he was like, no, I promise you, this is, you'll do, you'll be fine and even if you don't, like, so what? You've tried it, you've done something different. And I thought, you know what? Whatever, I'll try it. And, like, obviously it turned out all right. Yeah. <laughs> so you came the first time we met you and, and we you got your feelers out and people started to sort of know you and then you returned home. And then you came back again. Yeah, Dude, I, I had I to come back. I must admit, as soon as you came back, I thought, right, we have such a competitive jockey rank in, in Sydney. Um, but to throw, to throw it, you know... Another breed, if you like, in there is, is amazing, you know, and, it, and it's and it kind of shakes it up a little bit, and it also probably gives her boys a little bit of fright. Oh, wait a minute, we've got a young buck coming along here. Yeah, I don't know about giving them a fright, <laughs> but um, like we, you've got you've got a lot of good, but there are a lot of good riders over here, obviously, and you know we've you've already got Robbie Dolan now, Tommy Sherry, and you've got other sort of. Other lads that have come over in the past and done well, John Allen down in Melbourne. You know, there's a lot of people that have broken in and shown that English-Irish riders are world-class, really. I think, like, in my eyes... You can adapt. Yeah, yeah. And, like, Robbie Dolan's shown it really well the last year. You know, he's he's virtually all the way through his claim now. And... Because like, it is he's very a, different racing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it's massively different. It's but, like driving two very yeah, different cars. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, going from a, yeah, I don't know. Well, but like, there, there was already good lads over here that, that come from home, albeit Robbie didn't have that many rides in Ireland, but he saw it as an opportunity. Equally, Tommy Sherry didn't have that much experience at home, but he's coming over and he's just, like, he's plowing through the provincials. Uh, I think he's, he must be only a couple of winners behind for 
champion provincial jockey and he's an apprentice, which is ridiculous to think. Uh, but like, I, I don't know, it's something, something from home that the riding style just seems to be adaptable to wherever you go in the world, which is pretty cool. It's amazing, know. isn't yeah. it? Um, so you, you, you've came back out the second time, and we're all well acquainted now. <laughs> and I think it'd be fair to say that the Australians sort of opened their arms up and sort of said, "In you get, back you come." Like yeah. you've said, like almost like you've never been away, and you've yeah. had plenty of opportunity. Yeah, yeah, which is it, it, yeah, it's crazy, really, because you know I went, I went home middle of February last year. Obviously, I had a, I had a great year at home. Um, numbers wise coming back I thought oh well it and obviously I knew I knew there'd be a few people that would be willing to put me on a couple of horses yeah. but like did not think I'd be coming back to ride uh, however many city winners did not think I'd be coming back to ride like ride a two million dollar winner like <laughs> it doesn't happen no, it doesn't happen and I'm extremely fortunate in the fact that the I don't know the Australian trainers and owners mindset seems to be you know if you're willing to sort of put yourself out there and just ride they've they've rewarded me for it which is yeah it's, it's pretty it's a pretty nice nice feeling that like I said earlier like starting from scratch no one knew my name last year and now I've sort of been able to yeah yeah it's nice you're 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 in there when I when when you know when you go to um the the New South Wales jockey page. You look at the Metropolitan Jockeys. Your name's in the list. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> we know you. Yeah. You're part of the furniture. Yeah, and <laughs> like for as long as I can make it a a thing, a trip every winter. Like it'd be it'd be great because you know there's not many places and not guarantee success because by all means I could come back next year and struggle struggle to you. go. Yeah, forgotten about me. <laughs> um, but like it's a. Uh, it's a great place for opportunities and like I've loved every every minute that I've come over here the last couple of years and you know I, I pushed George Wood hard to come because when he couldn't go back to America because his visa you know I, I promised him like Tom Ward did to me whatever <laughs> I, I promised the land this of is, opportunity this is class yeah and and Cameron Noble is a new apprentice he's just yes. come not many people would have seen him yet but like very good rider struggled for I think opportunity. he won the air gold cap didn't he he did yeah dead heated oh. yeah uh, Baron Bolt I don't know yeah um, like very good rider but just struggled for opportunity at home and he's he's the perfect rider for out here you know, like he's tidy he's stylish he's switched on have um, we got more jockeys at home or do we have more here what, what, what would you say uh, the difference is in opportunities I think at home it's very hard to get big race rides because it's dominated by a top handful yeah and 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 because it's dominated by the top jobs you know over here there's big money races and big opportunities to be had there's no retainers there's no set jobs it's almost a bit of a free-for-all and it kind of lends itself to it swinging everyone's direction at some point whereas at home it's like it's a it's a close shop like realistically it's a close shop Unless you can get your foot in the door and and become one of those go to go to jockeys, either for when the top five can't ride all of their retained horses, or or you land one of the top five jobs, it's it's a very hard competitive place to be to get good rides. Like it's amazing. It's, it's it's really actually it's quite rewarding to hear that that Australia, because Australia has done so much to to put the racing on the map, and I think they do a tremendous job of it. And to have so many young riders come and be successful and enjoy the success is is lovely to hear actually and I hope I hope we get more of them because what a lot of people don't understand about our industry is that it's pretty much in every country now. And you've sort of grown up in racing, so racing's really your home and you can you're you're in a in a role now that you can go from country to country and still be at home. Really. Um which which is which is amazing. And so going on that you're, you're a professional sportsman such a young age, which is amazing. Maybe you can retire early. That would be great. Yeah, be nice, <laughs> be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, but it's it's not always smooth sailing, though. Nah, it? nah, it's, it's hard work. Yeah, like it, it's. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's a pretty taxing way of life. Like, 
If you're not on horseback, you're on the road. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And if you're not on the road, you're trying to lose weight or whatever. <laughs> um, but no, it, like, I think when you first start, you think, ah, oh, when I get to where I want to be, it'll be easier. But like, two years ago, I was where I wanted to be three years ago. Now I'm where I wanted to be two years ago. But it's, I suppose, as you go through the ranks, different places, whatever, um, like the goalposts change and it's equally as hard in different, in a different right. Like now, you know, now I'm not, <laughs> I'm not s scrapping around for rides like when I first started. Now my, my challenge is trying to sort of keep fresh and go to as many places as I can to ride for as many different people as I can. Like I've got a busy few weeks. Like I'm really fortunate in the fact I've been to Qatar quite a lot this year for some great owners in Al Westmere Stud. I'm going back out there for them next week and then go home for a couple of days and then Saudi Arabia the next week. Go home for, I think I've got two weeks back at home and then come back out here, you know, trying to, trying to make sure that you're not emptying the tank and not having yourself in the best condition that you can. Because if you're not, if you're not in good condition, like you can't, you can't ride properly, you can't concentrate properly. So it's, it's, uh, like now that's, that's the, the challenge. Not riding the both ends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but like, I enjoy it. I, I love, I love going to different places. I love riding elsewhere and, um, yeah, I relish your challenge. Cause you know, we, we think about as a jockey, as an athlete, you've got to be fiercely fit, fiercely strong and light, <laughs> but your mental game's got to be intact, doesn't it? You really have to be because you, you can push your body through physical things, but you really have to be the right place at the right time mentally to be able to travel to all of these countries and ride winners and, and ride losers and be able to get back up the next day and go again. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, I suppose, having that uh, bit of hunger, like the hunger sort of drives you on through no matter what happens, like either way, if you're going well, you're going well, it's, it's easy when you're going well, like everyone will tell you that, no matter what you do in life, if you're, if you're doing well at your sort of selected profession or sport like it's so easy like it feels easy but it's it's when it's when it's not going quite going the way you want it to then I guess yeah it's it feels a bit harder and then it comes into play the the mental side of it and and keeping yourself right and you know we've recently obviously we've we've lost a couple of people that realistically you know the the hardship of racing has probably been what's got to them because it's a hard game um, and it's such a shame that it, as a you know as a sport and a community that we can't quite seem to come together to the degree that we should be like to help people because it is like it's a taxing way of life whether you're a jockey trainer stable lads everyone like everyone everyone struggles with with it no matter what side of it they're in so it's kind of yeah it'd be nice to see like racing as a community come together a little bit more and, and just support people right because I, th I think is what a lot of people see is the glamour you know we we have we have great races and, and and it is all we're all ecstatic at the end of the day because our athletes have came through for us we've got prize money and we've won prestigious races but it does take a toll doesn't it yeah definitely and and there's yeah. there's much there's more bad days than good, but mostly people when they see you doing when they see you they see you doing well. That's why that's that's why they tend to know you. So a lot of people probably don't realise the the taxing of that of being a professional athlete and and being and being strong and being and being light and being a part of it and being there with a the smile on your face every day and copping the bad rides and saying right out next day. It, it, it's a big thing, and, and I think for you being such a, a, a young sportsman, I think you've handled that so well. Um, and, and we love having you here in Australia. It's, uh, we're, we're quite lucky actually to, to be able to see you do that. And I think you're, I think you're fantastic for racing and to go from country to country and learn. Um, I think, I think that's amazing. So 
I hope that we get to see you again. I'll be back. <laughs> I, I really love to see Holly Doyle up here. I mean, she's. I mean, last it was last season she won 112. Uh, 116 for the year altogether. Yeah, which yeah. is the most uh, a female yeah. jockey's ever ridden in Britain. Yeah, and like it was some effort as well, really, because like Josie rode 106 was the previous record, um, and I, I think. I might be wrong. I think she had a claim for part of that year. But, like, she's... Holly's literally sort of... She's gradually sort of built up. There's been no... There's been no breakout year. There was no sort of horse that's just suddenly put her on the map. It's just been... She's grafted through. She she landed a very good job with Archie Watson at the right time. But that was through no fluke at all. And she's just carried it on through like she's carried on through and like she's on 27 28 winners this year already like to to ride that quantity of winners in a month in january when it's it's not quiet but it's quieter like that just shows her work ethic yeah and dedication exactly and and like hopefully that just continues through the year and and she can find one or two high-grade horses with Archie or with other trainers that can just take her on to that yeah. next. Yeah, because it's it's wonderful riding a lot of winners in a year. Like, stats are great. I, I'm terrible. I love a stat. <laughs> but and it's a tough yeah. job because she has to yeah. drive up one end of the yeah. country to get to, to get it. Isn't it? Yeah, and it's not, um, exactly. You, we see the winners in the saddle, but there's a lot of hours in the, yeah. in the car. Um, and, and, and in the gym and at riding out in the morning. So I think I think that's an amazing accolade. I think it's both of you would be so lucky to have been living in such a professional household. <laughs> Doing so well, which is amazing. amazing. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I've, thoroughly, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I think, um, I think you've had a fantastic scene here in Australia. And I, I, we follow you a lot when you go home. And the hope that you come back and grace us again. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Thoroughbred Network. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and keep up to date with all the future guests on our website, thethoroughbrednetwork.com.au.